You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 287. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is an odd-numbered episode. I am very excited to have a guest on the show this week. I met our guest a couple of weeks ago at the Gamma Expo, and uh, he showed me this very, very cool game that I am super excited for, and I really want to talk about the second half of the show. Dion Mixon is on from Design Eye. How are you doing, Dion? Hey, how you doing? What's going on, everybody? So... Let's talk a little bit, just a very, very small amount about Design Eye. What is Design Eye? So Design Eye is a premier graphic design education board game. It's a creative game. I like to call it a creative game for people with great ideas. So that's the right. Design right. Eye. Just to whet some people's appetite. So we'll dig into this a little bit more second half of the show. But before we get there, Anitra, I have a fact okay. about our episode number. This is episode 287 of the Family Gamers podcast. I didn't even introduce ourselves. I am your host, Andrew. I've, I introduced Dion. I didn't even <laughs> introduce us. Whatever. I am your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely, wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. Okay, now we're allowed to start the show. All right. Cool. <laughs> so, so my what, fact What's about 287? Yeah, this is kind of lame, but you may know this site called Board Game Geek. Ever heard of it? I, I have, in fact, heard of it. Yeah. Yes. When I'm really, really stuck and I really, really am struggling to find a fact, it turns out all the board games in Board Game Geek are indexed by number. I'm shocked as a computer Uh, scientist who works with databases. What? So I pulled up board game number 287. This is, are you ready for this? A 55-year-old Sid Saxon classic. Okay. I mean, the lower numbers generally are. There's a game called Bizarre. I almost feel like we talked about this game, like with Matt Riddle or something like that, like somebody who is, you know, steeped in, steeped in board in, games. In For some reason, it sounds slightly familiar to me. This game, Bizarre by Sid Saxon. The components of Bizarre include a whole bunch of little chips in five colors. At the start of the game, two equation cards are randomly chosen. Each equation card has five equations on it for a total of 10 equations that will be in effect for the duration of the game. The equations state equivalences between certain combinations of colors. For example, red equals green, green, or green, yellow equals blue, blue, red. Okay. Makes sense? So far, so good. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Four target cards are turned up, each with some combination of five chips represented on the target card. Basically, the goal here is to, you roll a color die to randomly pick a color chip for yourself. Or you can make an exchange based on one of the equations, and your goal is to match the target cards. Okay, so and, and do it, like, in as few turns possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, well, you, cause you want to do it faster than other people. So that's the game. That's the game of Bizarre. Again, Sid Saxon, the legendary game designer Sid Saxon, released this in 1967. It was originally published by 3M. That's amazing. Wow. Which is pretty amazing because I thought all they did was innovate. I thought that was their their shtick, right? Was they took great ideas and innovated on them and made them better? Uh, so what maybe was not in 1967. Be- yeah, maybe not. <laughs> so b- before Bizarre, it was just weird? Uh, all right, there's boo, my dad joke for the day. I'm sorry. Boo, I'm sorry. <laughs> wrong kind of Bizarre anyway. <laughs> I know it is. It, it totally is. All right. Well, uh, something that is a little bit more serious is our sponsor message, which is extremely timely this week. 
So First Move Financial would like to remind anyone listening who has student loans that have been in the automatic COVID deferment that payments are currently scheduled to restart on May 1st, 2022. That is in four weeks, people. Hopefully you've been able to use the lack of payments to reduce other debts or boost your savings or cover emergencies that have cropped up. But if you haven't already, then you need to prepare for those payments to restart. If you would like to talk to someone about your student loans and how the recent deferment has impacted forgiveness or repayment, schedule a time by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today to set up a free call. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. All right. So we are going to talk about some games that we've been playing. Yes. Dion, what is on your list? What have you been playing these days? Uh, well, these days I've been playing uh, Multi. It's another game from one of the other uh, Horizon fellows at Gamma this year. Oh, cool. Uh, Multi is basically a math game. It's a multiplication math game, and it's set up like tic-tac-toe. So the board is a giant tic-tac-toe board, but then in each square is another tic-tac-toe board. And you have to like multiply these into you know these different numbers to put your x's or o's on the mini squares to make up a tic-tac-toe to then make up a bigger tic-tac-toe <laughs> oh my gosh okay, that's, okay. That's yeah. a, i can explain it makes sense once you play it but but yeah i've been playing it with my daughter and she loves it so it's that's definitely awesome. you know educational but also just fun too so that's what i've been playing out lately nice it, it makes sense to me it's the kind of game that our 11 year old was trying to come up with this like extra complexity tic-tac-toe and he was kind of going in that direction with it yeah where each of the nine cells is its own board and then you, you would play tic-tac-toe in that board i mean this is a little bit different than what you were talking yeah, about yeah it's a little but you, different you play tic-tac-toe in those boards to win the space right yep yeah it was designed by uh federico chiavo of joyful mathematics so joyful nice. mathematics uh multi is the name of the game well we will keep that in the uh, show notes. We'll put yeah. that in there so make sure that anybody who's For interested sure. can check that one out. So that is pretty cool. Anisha, what have we been playing? I've been playing more Santorini. <laughs> Nobody's surprised. Uh, we have to return this to the library pretty much by the time this show goes out. Mm -hmm. But even though we had it for two, two and a half weeks, it is by far my most played game this year because our son is just like, yes, let's play more Santorini. Yes, let's play more Santorini. I have played it a dozen times now. You it's almost averaged really almost averaged a play a day. Almost. It is really, really good. I knew it was a good game, but I hadn't really dug into it since the kids were old enough to appreciate it. And yeah, I mm, the more I play it, the more I think that this needs to go on the board game wish list. Oh, good. For, <laughs> we just we just got a shipment of games I yesterday know, i'm sorry <laughs> let's see what else have we been playing i'm going to talk about a game that is technically not in my bg stats yet because i put games in my bg stats when i am done with them <laughs> yeah so last night uh this is a game that we picked up at the gamma expo last night we picked up our copy of meeples and monsters from alderac entertainment group and uh, I said it was long. It has been long. It has been long. I think we set it up around seven. We put the game on pause at nine. I think when all is said and done, it'll probably be about two and a half to three hours. Because we're yeah, getting I very mean, close to the end. I, I assume that the next time we play this, it'll go faster. Because some of this was learning. And some of it was also the fact that every other bag building type game I've ever played has a lot more of a simultaneous aspect to it. And this is definitely like, no, it is your turn. Mm -hmm. You pull out your yep. meeples, you do your thing, you clear the board, and then it is the next person's right. turn. That definitely makes it take longer. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, for sure. <sighs> the thing about this game 
that I think is really important for anybody to know when they play it, and it's something we're definitely going to talk about in our review, is that the players control the length of the game. Yes. Because the timer for this game is the creature stack. And if you are spending all of your time building up your meeple collection and not murdering, you know, monsters, monsters. it's just going to take longer. Yeah. Because you have to go through the the monster deck. Like, that's how the game works. So if you're a little bit more aggressive, and I think we'll learn this, and as we play it more, I think we're going to be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, I think so, too. The game will go faster. You could also solve this problem by removing some creatures, like, in each of the three levels of creatures. You could probably remove some, and you'd be fine. But you know what? I mean, this game, it's, it's got a nice charm to it. The cleric in this game has, I mean, they're meeples, right? And, and it acknowledges it. So the cleric has in his hand a bottle of wood glue because they're meeples. And he's, he's healing And he's them. a healer. And that's what he does. There's well, I also, also noticed that most of the monsters have some aspect of how they would destroy wooden things. So mm-hmm. it's a woodpecker or it's this guy with a saw who's, you know, the crazy saw man. No, no, no. His woodcutter. N- no. Well, okay, sure. One of the big bad guys at the end is Sawron. Yeah, he has like a full size saw. In yeah, his yeah, yeah. It's, so it's real cute. So, I mean, they're they're the game. I think the biggest issue with the game is the length problem and how yeah. you resolve that is kind of up to you but the game definitely has a charm to it it's very mechanically straightforward and simple there's a lot there but you know once you kind of get through it all the iconography reference is easy and uh, you know we're having fun with it yeah my big issue with it other than you know having to wait for people's turns has been uh, analysis paralysis because i'm like oh i could do this but maybe i want to do this but maybe I want to do this, especially as we get closer and closer to the end of the game. And there are so many more options available and just trying to figure out what's actually a good option. What's a better option? Well, I mean, the good thing about that is that except for the monsters, there's very little that a player can do to change your decisions. Yes. That's so true. so that helps. So that, you know, kind of resolves some of that. So, yeah. so that's Meeples and Monsters from AEG. Keep your eyes peeled. If you have questions about that game. I'm more than happy to talk about it lots and lots on (laughs) all of our social media. And we'll talk about that later on in the show. All right. Back to you, Dion. What else is on your list? What do you got? Um, That's, that's about it really. Like (laughs) my fiance, we have a big board game collection. I actually didn't grow up too much on board games. I mean, I, you know, I played Monopoly, sorry, that kind of thing, but I never really had that kind of family game night until I got Mm -hmm. older. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, multi is about it. That's kind of what, what I've been, I played like Pictionary recently, um, but you know, some hey man, don't knock the classics. Pictionary's so, fun. Some some classics. That was my first time playing it. I had never played Pictionary until uh, till now. But, but yeah, that's that's the latest um, multi. All right. Well, I think between you and me, Andrew, we've got two more. Yep. I showed our older son how to play Three Sisters, and he was skeptical at first. But once we got into it, he really, really enjoyed it because Three Sisters is you know this dice drafting, roll and write game in the mold of Fleet the Dice game. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and there are so many options available to you, and there are so many ways you can keep building up and make the combos and do more things, and then that lets you do even more things and go on and on and on. And so I was gratified that our son enjoyed it (laughs) and, and is happy to play it again. All right. Yeah. He played Fleet. Yeah. And he said, this was way more complicated than Fleet. It's somewhat more complicated. It's a little more complicated, but I don't think it's a big jump. But I mean, I'm glad he liked it. I feel like it's a theme that is more up his alley. than Farming rather than fishing. I don't know that he cares particularly about either one, but that's okay. All right. Well, the last game on the list is a game that we've, you've played before. I had not played this particular flavor 
but it is the key theft at cliff rock villa so this is another in the key series this is the kind of the competitive deduction series this one introduces some different kinds of clues that you have to kind of deduce your way through you beat me just barely i did but i did not deduce incorrectly which is good okay these games are really good. They're just really good. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But Thomas Singh, who did the crew, um, the crew mission Deep Sea, he also did all of these the key games. Maybe his like kind of like how like Plan B games, all of their games have four letters. Maybe Thomas Singh's thing is <laughs> that everything the, is the something, the whatever. Maybe. Yeah, I wonder if he did the game. Probably not. I don't know. Maybe you never know. Anyway, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. But anyway, um, so that's it. Like, there's not really a lot on the list, I guess. This that's week. all right. But yeah. So, all right, well, we're going to get into it then. I guess yeah, it's going to happen. So why don't we take a very quick break? And Dion, when we get back, you're going to be talking a lot, my friend. I hope that's okay. We got some questions no, no for problem. you. All right, we'll be right back. Episode 282 of the Family Gamers Podcast, we talked about two-player battle games. And as part of that, we listed a game that I absolutely love, which is Skull Hollow. I love this game. But this is a preview. And Skull Hollow has been out for a while. We've even already reviewed it. That's true. This is a snap preview for Mall Peak, the standalone sequel to Skull Hollow. Mall Peak is a two-player asymmetric battle game from Keith Mateka, Eduardo Baroff, and Dustin Faust. We mentioned it's the sequel to Skulk Hollow, but Mall Peak can also be combined with Skulk Hollow for new battles or for team games with up to four players. It's appropriate for players ages 12 and up, and it takes about 40 minutes or so to play. So let's talk about one of my favorite things about this game, which is the art. We love Love this art. It's the same basic style as Skulk Hollow, but the Grizzar tribe here feels just slightly more grown up than the Fox and Clan of Skulk Hollow. The Guardians are still done in a kind of cartoony style to keep them from being too scary. I also really, really love these giant meeples that are used to represent each one of them. The card art remains clear and crisp while also expressing just a little bit of, uh, of kind of humor. I love the winter theming here. The snow on everything and the white guardians makes the colored items really, really pop out. All right. So let's talk about the mechanics of this game. Very similar to Skulk Hollow, but how do we play Mall Peak? Decide who will play as the Grizzar and who will control the guardian. Try not to fight about that. The fight comes later. <laughs> the guardian player will choose which guardian they're going to use. And the Grizzar player gets to choose a winter beast. And this winter beast will help their tribe. So the Guardian goes first, starting in the lair space on the main board. This is in one of the corners of the square. The Grizzar get to start with just the Druid and their chosen Winter Beast on the space furthest away on the board called the Keep. On each player's turn, they play a limited number of cards from their hand to do actions such as moving, attacking, using magic, and healing. The Grizzar also have the option to use Rage on their turn, either to use their Winter Beast's special ability or to pay the cost of summoning another tribe member from their den. Using rage doesn't count towards their action limit, so it can be very handy. The various guardians have different goals that kind of fit their different play styles. 
Saboso wants to freeze enemy units and wind when it has trapped four units in the cell in their chest. Veblen wants to web up enemy units and drag them back to its lair, so it wins if three hero units are in the lair space. Quagra wants to confuse enemy units. <laughs> it wins if it can get all eight of its confusion cards into the hero's discard pile and deck. Trovac and Narl, the most challenging guardian pair, they cooperate in part by lending each other power. They win if they've spent power cubes nine times. But, of course, this is just a straight-up fight, so any of the Guardians can also win by eliminating all the Grizzar from the board. The Grizzar, meanwhile, will be hopping up onto the Guardian to attack it directly. Ha! Ha! With melee cards. <laughs> or at a distance with magic. And this is something we loved about Skulk Hollow, and it remains just as super cool. So you have that main board with the lair and with the keep, but then Grizzar get to jump onto a separate board which represents the Guardian. Every wound space on the Guardian board corresponds to specific Guardian abilities. So the Grizzar player can attack to disable the most annoying aspects of a Guardian. And that might actually change depending on the player and their habits. So maybe yeah. in one game, you're really focused on one kind of attack. And in another game, it's something completely different, even if it's the same Guardian. So the Grizzar win by filling all of the wound spaces on the Guardian board. All right, so we kind of explained how to play this game. What did we expect from Alpeak? Well, like we said earlier, we are huge fans of Skulk Hollow. It's a great two-player game, and we reviewed it in 2020. See the link below. We expected more of the same from Malpeak. Huge Guardians versus a small but plucky band defending their home. <laughs> Once we learned the abilities of the Guardians and the Grids, our game sometimes ran a little bit longer than the 40 minutes that's on the box because it's really incredibly well-balanced. It's a true back-and-forth fight with opportunities to steal victory from the jaws of defeat, or in my case, usually steal defeat, defeat from, from the, the jaws of victory. victory. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we were really excited to see that you can also combine Mall Peak with Skulk Hollow for a massive four-player game. Or mix it up by trying out a Guardian strategy versus the hero clan from the other game. So what surprised us about Mall Peak? We, we know our expectations. What surprised us? Well, Mall Peak feels just a little bit more difficult than Skulk Hollow. Perhaps this is because the Grizzar clan is fewer in number, and when they die, they're removed from the game entirely. But perhaps it's because more of the Malpeak Guardians match the Grizzar for the number of actions they get to take in a turn. But the new Guardians bring new and interesting abilities to the table, and getting to choose which Grizzar heroes to bring out, it I think leads to some more interesting strategies than with the Foxen. Yeah, you definitely have more choice and agency when you're playing as the Grizzar. One thing I was really surprised about was the way the four-player battle mode worked. I was kind of nervous that there might be a little bit too much going on and there was just a lot on the board and it would kind of turn into a slog, but it totally wasn't. The win conditions have very slight differences depending on which guardians are used, but the game actually flowed incredibly well. When we played this mode, we played it with three players, so we had one player who controlled both of the Guardians, but everyone was engaged because it was a team fight on the Fox and Grizzar side anyway, so when I was playing, you were watching, and when you were playing, I was watching, and it was just a whole lot of, ah! It was super fun, and it was a totally epic game. It was great. So, Anitra, do we recommend Mall Peak? Well, Skulk Hollow was rated ages 8+. Mall Peak is listed as 12+. I think the true difficulty is somewhere in between. 
there's still some reading required and kids need to be able to look a little bit ahead to figure out what their opponent is likely to do next. But that said, we think this is great. Oh, we love it. It's so fun. Love it. <laughs> if you enjoyed Skull Hollow, you will like Mall Peak 2. Pretty much guaranteed. Family gamers guaranteed. Yes. <laughs> if you're looking to buy one of them for the first time, Skull Hollow is a tiny bit easier to learn and you can get that right now. Make sure to check out Mall Peak hitting Kickstarter this Tuesday, April 5th. And that's our Mall Peak preview in, in a snap. snap. We are so pleased to welcome Dion to the podcast. Andrew, I think you already mentioned you met Dion at Gamma this year. I sure did. And he's got a really cool game, and we're going to talk about it. Yeah, so let's talk about, um, first of all, hey, Dion, how you doing? <laughs> hey, how you doing? And, uh, thanks so much for uh, having me. I'm excited to get into this. So let's talk about Design Eye. So the game is, is called Design Eye. Um, we we kind of had a little teaser earlier, but let's talk about this game where did the idea for this game come from? What is it? You know, a little more detail. And then maybe like, you know, what's your goal with this game? Yeah, so uh, Design I it came out as one of my thesis ideas, actually, when I was in college uh, at Western Michigan University. And I ended up doing a different idea for my thesis. I ended up redesigning the Detroit flag. But I still wanted to uh, pursue this kind of game, this design education game. Uh, I had a original prototype around summer of 2016. It was a completely different name, uh, completely different design. It was called GNA, and it stood for like graphic design niche agent. Uh, it was kind of play on DNA. So the yeah. idea was like the creator in you. But it was too scientific. Uh, I got some feedback, you know, some critique. Like, hey, don't, don't, the, it's cool, but don't uh, kind of merge science and design. Like, just let it be all design and let it be more creative. Uh, and the, the the board design, it looked too much like, like Monopoly because that was like one of my references. So like two years later, after I graduated and went to New York to work there, I kind of got back on the game uh, and I just kind of revamped nearly everything. I had some mechanics that stayed, um, but I just fine tuned it to what it is now. But yeah, part of that thesis idea, the problem that I was trying to solve is helping increase diversity in the design industry. So when I look at my life and the life of other black designers, black creatives, you know, I was one of few, very few black design students. And then in New York and back home, Detroit, one of two black designers in the studio. And then there are different like articles and sources out there that outline, you know, just industry stats like, you know, uh, salaries and the, the makeup of, you know, the different ethnicities and gender identities, like all that kind of data. AIGA, the Professional Association for Design. They're like the, they're like the gamma, but for design professionals. <laughs> um, they have like basically an article about these uh, different industry stats and uh, the numbers are just very low for, you know, uh, POC designers. So I thought, well, design is very niche. I can see how it'd be a challenge to get, you know, youth interested. And the reason why my mind went towards the youth, because I believe in teaching our kids young about certain things so that they are aware of it. They have more time to kind of dabble into it if they're even more interested and so the kind of golden statement, make learning fun, came about in my head. And so I said, well, a game. And then how do you gamify something like design, something as niche as design? And the logic went, well, 
you need them to design, you need them to, you need them to think and know that creating is fun. And at the fundamental level, creating is sketching. You have to put ideas to paper. And I like board games. I prefer board games more than card games. There's just something about a tactile object and, you know, you being around your, your friends, your family, your players. Uh, there's something about that experience that I think is very powerful. Uh, and because also in a creative context, you're doing the same thing. You're creating beside your fellow teammates, fellow, I call them comrades, your design comrades. <laughs> and, and so that medium made sense to me. And then that's kind of where I dived into making this game a board game for uh, education and board game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how design I came out to be, you know, creating something that would help increase diversity in design by reaching out to the youth because it, it starts there. Our future is our youth. Right. And because there's just a lot of youth, a lot of creative youth who don't know there are careers out there for them. And then they end up wasting their talent. I've seen that happen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that the uh thorough answer for that. no it's good it's good stuff no, it's good. so so i have to ask this question so i mean obviously when you were a kid like design i didn't exist because you made it as an adult so what got you into design how did you you know take a look at that space and say like hey i mean because obviously part of your goal with this is to kind of tackle this issue with diversity or lack thereof within the space so you know for you what what kinds of problems did you run into kind of growing up and wanting to get into design and, and being a creative and how did you kind of overcome some of that stuff yeah so i actually started in music in my kind of elementary middle school days i was a violinist nice. for several oh, wow. years um yeah nice. i was fourth chair and second chair and first chair and i really thought you know music was going to be kind of my world and it was my violin sensei. I call her, I call all of my kind of teachers senseis because I studied Japanese for like four years. So everyone's <laughs> like a sensei. Uh, my violin sensei, like eighth grade, she was like, you're about to go to high school. My high school is like a college prep school. So they're already like in the application for the school. You're already geared towards thinking about college. So she said, you know, if you don't want to, you know, take that that road to suffer your way to a symphony orchestra or something. Uh, well, at least she's so, honest. <laughs> yeah. So look at your other, your other talents, your other skills. So you're good at drawing. Maybe something is out, uh, something, maybe there's something out there for you as far as that uh, artistic skill. Uh, and then another counselor introduced me to graphic design. We were like in the hallway with my mom. We were talking about scholarships and she was just showing me, you know, hey, there, you know, there's music. You already are great at that. But there's also this thing called graph design. You can use your, you know, creative skills to like help other people get their ideas out, and that meant a lot to me. I, my mom, she was very like philanthropic, and so I, I saw design as a way to be philanthropic, uh, to like serve others, like to help people, um, and ideating, creating ideas um, for myself for, for others. That just was sweet to me. Um, and so that was kind of like, you know, this is my way I can give to the world by helping people with their ideas. Uh, and that was kind of like the moment I was kind of sold right then and there uh, in, that, in that conversation in eighth grade. And so ninth grade, I got accepted into that high school, um, Cast Tech. And it's one of the like premier high schools in Detroit. And the curriculum was graphic arts and communication. And, I, and of course, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about design. Like, I didn't know about <laughs> Adobe, Photoshop, all these different things. I just kind of stuck with it, just like that kind of leap of faith. And I was still playing music for a little bit. I was still in the orchestra in ninth grade, and I retired in ninth grade. <laughs> we just couldn't uh, make up for the... We started to get into private lessons. We just couldn't uh, afford it. And just coming from a low-income household situation... 
Uh, my mom, she just she was my captain. She did a lot. And my dad was there, too. Like Both my parents did a great deal in different ways. But yeah, when I was thinking about my career future, just learning more about design in high school, uh, learning you know, all the different ways you can create. I felt there was financial security there, but also just more creative freedom. And with music, I wouldn't be able to, to a degree, achieve that same type of impact. So that's kind of what ultimately led me to sticking with design. Uh, and I didn't learn the bulk of design in high school. I you know once I got to college, then it was like, this is the real deal. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, wow, I was completely opened up to the thorough world of design. And, and I just kind of fell in love uh, in college. So 2013. So, yeah, that's that's my journey of being a design or becoming a designer. And I and I didn't think about like, oh, I'm the one of the only few minority kids in here it was like apparent but it wasn't like something i just constantly thought about i was just doing my thing making sure i'm straight you know just worrying about my minding my business basically yeah it was a note that you know was taken and so later on that's kind of how the thesis idea came about yeah i get that it's not like you're ignoring it it just kind of like that's a thing but that's not what i'm focused on yeah yeah yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Design Eye, the actual game. So you, you mentioned before you kind of had this old name with the kind of the more scientific look to it. And, and you know, that idea. I remember, you know, when I met you at the table. So there's a there's a couple different like kind of categories of things to do. And I pulled up, I don't know, some like trivia card. And I asked you a question. You're like, oh, the answer is such and such. Because mm-hmm. of, of course, you know them all. But uh, can you talk a little bit about like how the game actually like plays? And, and you talked a little bit about, you know, focusing this game towards youth. We've also touched a little bit on, you know, making sure that like the opportunities in design are made available to minorities. Is there a, a particular angle with the game that you kind of put together to focus on on that part of it? Or is it really is just to focus on like, look, this is something that is accessible to youth. And as people play this game and, you know, enjoy the game and have fun with the game, uh, that's going to attract all different kinds of people. Yeah, definitely the latter. So it's, you know, in reality, it's primarily for any youth. Um, doesn't matter what their background is. But I think operationally, like I'm in front of minority youth first. But, you know, of course, overall, it's for any youth. And uh, mechanically, throughout my kind of creation process of the game, uh, a lot of the feedback I got was just make sure the players, whether they're younger or older, um, can create. They need to be able, because a part of design is creating. Sure. Uh, ideating and then creating. So uh, mechanically, what you're really is really simple. Uh, once you get through all the you know material, I, and I think I don't I don't know what the fact is, but I, I feel like me- most games are taught to other people who already played the game. I don't know how many people like read. I guess for every new game, somebody has to read the instructions and then teach somebody. <laughs> that's kind of how I imagine it, but I don't I don't know what the fact on that. But that's kind of how I see design. I like once more people play it then they just teach other people so they won't feel like overwhelmed uh whatnot you're essentially you know one uh, free for all everyone's their own kind of creative they're a student trying to get into this prestigious school uh design school and you got to build a portfolio so you're just rolling the dice uh, moving around you're landing on different disciplines and you're sketching for that discipline and then you're presenting your ideas and then you all have critique you talk about it and you get points and then that's it. You're continuing to like create based on the different disciplines you're learning about. Uh, you're presenting your ideas. You're getting points for them. And then the, the the blitz that I showed you, those are other like activities you can do to get points. So on um, flashcards. But in the end, you know, you have all of these original ideas you created. 
kind of like your portfolio, your all your sketches is your portfolio. Mm-hmm. A lot can come out of that type of experience, um, whether you win or lose. It is a heavy, although there's that educational component, the bulk of the gameplay is creating. And Anitra talked about, you know, uh, idle time, the analysis paralysis. The, because this was intended for youth, like I wanted it to not be so, you know, long or like uh, you, you all mentioned, like the players can control how long a game could be. So that was kind of like an element of that as well that I thought about. And so for the next, for the sequel, I'm going to make it even more streamlined and more kind of quick. Um, and everyone is sketching at the same time versus waiting on the next other person to go in this game. So that's the spiel to that. I don't want to run about it. <laughs> hey, well, one man. thing that I actually noticed, and I don't think I kind of thought this through while I was standing at the table, but uh, as I was, was kind of going through material at the end of the day and kind of processing like what I had gone through, one of the things that I think is really smart about Design Eye is that, yes, there's graphic design in the sense that you have to, you know, format this stuff and this, you know, industrial design kind of thing and and everything has to be clear to understand and things like that. But there's not a lot of art like in the game. And the fact that the whole game is about creating and ideating, and it's so smart that you don't have a bunch of stuff. It's almost like it's better to read a book than watch a movie because you get to be internally creative and you imagine all the things that you're reading. And so I just thought it was super smart that the game is, there's not a ton of like, yes, it's a design game, but there's not like a ton of color and all this super, you know, imaginative Mm -hmm. stuff on the board because you want that to come from the kids that are playing the game. Exactly. Yep. And, and so I often tell people, like, the design of the board, is, I, I treat it as a blank canvas. That's kind of the concept. Like, I want mm-hmm. the players' ideas to project onto their, their sheet of paper. Uh, and also, you know, I thought, I was thinking about pros and cons. So, yeah, I could easily have gotten, you know, one of my design friends to illustrate, you know, some fancy cover. But then I've seen students do this in test plays. Like, they would just try to copy off of something that they mm-hmm. experienced. So I want right. to promote uh, authenticity and originality in your uh, ideation process. So, but yeah, absolutely. So you teased a little bit that you're, you're thinking about a (laughs) sequel to this game. What is next for you and for, you know, design eye as a company, as a organization? Yeah. So design eye, I've, you know, since I've, I've started this, I guess I became a business like 2019 December and what started as a game is now, uh, you know, a design education company. That's kind of how I'm positioning it now. Uh, and the game is one of many tools that will come down the pipeline. And I don't really intend to create a bunch of games. I'm saying that now that might change in the future. <laughs> but um, but I do, from feedback from other players, you know, mainly older players, they want something more, I guess, less educational, more strategic, more fun. Um, but I'm not into, like, midway heavy strategy. Uh, I'm very into... I guess me being a designer, what design is all about is about kind of design plus education. Uh, I want it to be more creative. And I don't want players to spend too much time. Well, I mean, they can spend how much ever, you know, how much time they want creating, but I don't want too many like mechanics walking them down to to, hmm. to create. So the sequel uh, it'll be called Design Eye Pro, and the concept is that you two are a studio, and me and my friend John Doe is a studio. And we're competing against each other to win a client project. So we're like all sketching at the same time. You're pretty much cycling the client. I'm still in the outline phase right now, but let's say it's you two, me and my friend and your kids. So if we're going toe to toe sketching to our project card, your kids are the client and they're judging who has the best nice. solution to the project card. Like and then whoever like they it. choose, they win that project card. 
So, you know, and I thought, and I want to include more little features. Like I want to include these designer cards to bring more of some of that reality into the game. So like, let's say in the beginning, we all grab a designer card, you know, Anitra might have the creative director card and she has some perks with that card to help mm-hmm. you know, the studio at large. Uh, and Andrew might have the senior designer card. Now, Anitra can tell you what to do because she's the creative director. So That's she can, normal. like, there's, like, some direct <laughs> and create and present kind of roles. So I'm trying to, yeah. you know, insert reality but keep it balanced as well. Mm-hmm. And because, as you know, especially for younger players, I want them to realize, like, this is what happens in the real world. Like, you're collaborating with your, you know, fellow, you know, teammates and you're presenting and you're talking about it. It's not like... No, I just want to be the winner. My idea is better than yours. No, it's about, you know, working together on really trying to solve a real problem, potentially a real problem. And I like that, you know, not everybody is doing exactly the same thing. Like there are different roles and learning how to collaborate in a way that means that not everybody has to do the same thing. I don't know how many like class projects it took me to really realize that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of the, what that sequel will be. Uh, it'll mainly be cards. There won't be a board. And yeah, it'll be kind of fast paced and just, I think the big exciting part is seeing what people create to try to solve that project problem. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I like it. All right. Um, I only have one more question. So we kind of talked a little bit at the beginning about, you know, your focus in getting this game out and really exposing kids to it so that they can learn like design is fun. And of course, we talked a little bit about diversity in the space and the lack of the relative lack of diversity in the space. But then you said something interesting. You said operationally, you spend more time with minorities and people of color. So what does that mean? Like, is that part of your day job that you like have this kind of thing where you're able to reach out to youth or or like what, what, how does that work out? And then the follow-up question to that is, is this something that we can support and how do we do that? Yeah. So currently, so I work full-time at a design studio. I do, I specialize in branding, brand design. Um, And it's in downtown Detroit. And I have uh, a mentor who is connected to Detroit public schools uh, and so through him, I have access to students and uh, we do kind of like after school programming. And so I will like come in to a school that he's affiliated with and I'll bring in the game and I'll literally just have them play the game. You know, kind of do some preface. Like, hey, I'm Mr. Mixon, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I'll kind of work in conjunction with actually just writing on a whiteboard. I'll say, hey, what's graphic design, visual communication. So it will be a combination of teach, actually teaching them, but then actually opening up the game as like kind of an icebreaker. And then I step outside the game to then uh, teach more. I might show some decks that I've built, some presentations. I might show some videos. <clears throat> and that's kind of like the bulk. And, now, and of course, Detroit, it's a lot of minorities there, you know, Black and Hispanic. So they're kind of like my main audience. <clears throat> I've taught students in New York. I've had New York students play the game as well from another organization. But it's, that is my main focus. Uh, and then from like, you know, targeting minority schools, and then outside of that, targeting other schools. And what was the second question? <laughs> the, the follow-up question well, was like, how do we support this kind of an effort? Because it's not something that we have real life you know, mm-hmm. exposure to. So like for us and for maybe some of our listeners who are listening to this and saying like, this is some really cool stuff and I think it's really important. Like, what should we do? How can we help? Yeah. Uh, well, one of the ways is, you know, getting a game or showing people where they can get the game. And so although like, me, boots on the ground is in front of, you know, minority students. 
anybody else, they can be in front of whoever they have access to, whether they're a minority or not. So part of my, I guess, goals is, you know, to be in every school district. Uh, I want designer to be a part of the curriculum. I want educators to be able to use it as a tool to help them with their classes, their lessons. A lot of schools don't have a design kind of curriculum. They don't have a design program or class. And so it, it fills that gap as well, uh, what, you know, regardless of the background of their students. And so, you know, getting a game or, you know, showing it to teachers, showing it to superintendents, um, getting it in the community, all of the above, really. Those different tasks or, you know, things you could do is definitely plausible. Yeah, because I can't limit the audience. Uh, it's for everyone. I'm just on boots on the ground in this department. Everyone else can do the same or they can just do whatever they they have access to. hope that makes sense. I have to confess, Dion, you fell into my trap. <laughs> you said you can get the game. So my trap was getting you to say get the game so that I could say, hey, Dion, where do people get the game? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So thank you. The, you can get the game at designigame dot com design eye game dot com and you know just uh, point it out there yeah I was I reached my Kickstarter goal I was one hundred thirty percent funded in twenty twenty kind of and that was my first time ever doing a Kickstarter so I was really you know thankful grateful for everybody who supported I had launched an Indiegogo like earlier that year twenty twenty it failed. I wouldn't say horribly, but it just failed. And then I launched a Kickstarter. Learning experience. Right, it's a learning <laughs> experience. So yeah, I'm still a one-man army right now. So I have all the games, you know, shoe wrapped and all up in my garage. And so you get a game, <laughs> I go to my garage and I take care of you. But yeah, Save so Dion I, from his fiance's rage. Buy the game today. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, so designigame.com obviously is going to be the place to go. Where can people go if they want to reach out to you and maybe say hi, you know, on the internet, whatever, uh, or, or whatever they might want. Yep. So they can still communicate with me through Design Eye Game uh, on the right. About page. There's a, a kind of a contact form there. They can follow me at Dion Mixon or at Design Eye Game uh, on Instagram or Facebook. Um, they can follow me on LinkedIn at Dion Mixon. So either two works. All right. Okay. Sweet. Well, Anitra, I think we're at that point in the show where I ask you where people can find us. Well, hopefully you've found us already because you're listening to this podcast. One would think. <laughs> uh, but if you want to find us on social media, we are on at least all the, the big ones. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, occasionally on TikTok at Family Gamers AA. You can see our YouTube videos, mostly five minute board game reviews at The Family Gamers on YouTube. Don't forget the Family Gamers Facebook community. Ah, yes. The easiest way to get there is thefamilygamers.com slash community or just search Family Gamers community on Facebook. You can also email us. That's right. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids and A Balanced Life is a Meeple in one hand and a controller in the other. Merchandise at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you're hearing. Tell your friends about the podcast and leave us a review. That's the best way to tell strangers about the podcast, whether that's at Apple Podcast or Amazon Music or Stitcher or wherever you can leave a review, wherever it is. These Spotify. Listen. Our Spotify counts are going up. Excellent. So there you go. Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com forward slash family gamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Well, I think that's going to be it for this week. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Dion. It has been a pleasure. 
Thank you for having me. I've had a lot of fun. It was great. It was great. It was so good to meet you at the expo. And um, it was kind of funny to hear you talk about violin. Our daughter both plays violin and is an artist. So (laughs) um, I'm going to make her listen to this. So (laughs) yeah, I can (laughs) still read and write. My fingers are a bit crusty. So she's probably better than me right now. Well, she's in eighth grade right now, too. So there there was so much of that story that was just like, ooh, ooh, she's got to listen to this. But I think we're done for this week. All right. So until next week, play games with your kids. kids.